All right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. My name is John. And I'm Jack. And this week, we are reviewing 2020's The Outpost, starring Anne Eastwood. I can't ever remember his his first name. Is it Clint Eastwood's son? Scott Eastwood. Hmm. Yeah, featuring that guy. Um. <laughs> do, you have, do you have trouble saying Scott? Yeah, I do. I got a problem with the name Scott. What about it? Nothing. It's just that I figured that it's your middle name. We don't talk about that. All right. (laughs) Whatever. I'm a little confused because I have the internet pulled up here. And IMDb said this film came out in 2019. But then Wikipedia says 2020. Maybe it was both. Oh, uh, okay. Never mind. So it had its world premiere at the Thessaloniki International Film Festival in November. And it was supposed to premiere in America at South by Southwest, but it was canceled due to COVID. And then it was pretty much just released direct to Netflix at that point. Which I actually do recall this being like a COVID movie. Like, you know, because I I actually remember seeing it when it first came out. Because uh, while everybody else was watching Tiger King, I was like, let's be different and watch random Netflix suggested straight release uh, movies. But uh, I don't know about you, but I thought this was a, a pretty good film. Oh, it was fantastic. I loved this movie. What uh, what initially made you go with it? The piss bottles. The piss bottles? The piss bottles. I don't know. It's just... I I didn't actually think about what movie I wanted to watch, so I just fucking spitballed a war movie. That's fair. I will but say... But I did. The piss bottle is... It's an underrated character in this film. Right? Just has this warm golden glow about it. So for those who might have forgotten or haven't seen the film yet, there's a scene where Commander number three in our lineup of uh, <laughs> Lemony Snicket's unfortunate def- events. Defense Against the Dark Arts Professors. <laughs> yeah, whichever series you want to go with. He- if you're a commander at Cop Keating, you are either a defense against the Dark Arts teacher who's not going to make it, or you are the like pseudo guardian to the Lemony Snicket's kids and are also not going to make it. Or who is the? I think it was the bassist in Spinal Tap or the drummer that they keep that either keeps dying or gets getting fired. Something like that. But, but commander yeah. number three. My least favorite commander, by the way. Um, oh, yeah, he's a prick. Like, you get him, you wonder, like, you kind of feel him to begin with. Like, he's just kind of, he, he takes the role, the strict, no-nonsense, like, by-the-book type thing. Like, we're here to accomplish a specific job, and we're going to do that. But then it just starts rubbing people the wrong way, and he does some, like, questionable decisions. Um, 
But primary to that is uh, one of our soldiers' complaints, which is he doesn't ever leave the talk unless he has to take a shit. And I know this because he has me carry his piss bottles out every day. <laughs> and he he won a medal of honor for carrying piss bottles. Certainly not his actions during the battle itself, but the piss bottles. I mean, that that is a form of courage all its own. Mm-hmm. So brave. So stunning. Stunning. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you... I, I so the, for those who can't see it, whenever me and Jack record, uh, in our little like recording boxes, it has our names, and then underneath, we can have like a little subtitle, which I imagine is for people who are like professionals, so they can be like, "Oh, it's Doctor So and So, Professor of whatever," but instead, you have me, John whose subtitle is Bottle Pisser, and Jack, whose subtitle is Piss Bottle Carrier. We didn't coordinate this at all, by the way. We just kind of showed up to this with these. I just I just love that I get to be the, the bottle pisser in this situation. I'm honored to be your piss bottle carrier. I won't oh, drop piss any. boy! Oh, piss boy! Rings little bell. My lord, you do look like the piss boy. Might I suggest hydrating, my lord? <laughs> it has us. Your pee is quite amber this evening. It was abnormally yellow. He needed some more water. Yeah, well, it's. I guess that's what happens when you're in a rocky, desert-like country. And you just can't get enough water. Well, at least there wasn't like plastic bag shit carrier boy. He was off screen. He sadly died during the battle. <laughs> you know, this is the second time. I wonder if there's any other films that has this scene, but this is only the second time I've seen the uh, like burning of the, the, the ship barrels. And the first time that I've seen that was in uh, the movie. Wait, it's in Platoon 2? Yeah. Oh, I must have forgot about it. So it's three, because the only other one I could remember was Jarhead. Hmm, and that's on our list as well. Yeah, eventually. Man. This was a good movie, though. Piss bottles aside. What was your uh, your favorite part to this movie? Piss bottles? I'm kidding. It was the battle in and of itself quite intense the battle was uh was really well shot like it was i think it captured the like chaos of it all very well and i also think it captured just like the intensity very well um something that i think was just a little lacking was like a little bit of understanding of everything that's going on but i think that goes back to the chaos thing because it's like something that they constantly are yelling during the battle is like we need ammo to lrs2 it's like i understand that like lrs1 and lrs2 they're vehicles that are stationed at specific points in the camp for you know 
like fire superiority reasons. It's just we never really get like a good like layout of the camp leading up to it, so you don't truly appreciate the like the strategic importance of them. I mean, don't they give us a crash course near the beginning? Well, I mean, there's a there's a scene where they like hike up the side of the mountain to be like, oh, we're seeing what they see. But I don't know it. I think it was just a little difficult to keep a mental tabs of where they actually were or what they were trying to accomplish. Aside from the like, we're getting ammo to the machine gun, you know. Mm-hmm. Who is your uh, favorite Medal of Honor recipient in this movie? Man, Carter really had his um, redemption. Because he was the ammo runner in the beginning, right? Yeah, he's the guy that was running around with ammo at the beginning of the battle. And then... No, like in the beginning of the movie, where he brought the wrong type of ammo. Dude kicks him and yells at him. Mm, probably. I don't remember that part, but... Yeah, Gallegos got mad at him. The joke's on him because Gallegos dies and Carter gets the Medal of Honor. I think... I I really liked carter's character um the thing though that and granted i i don't know like how accurate it is but you know something that we've seen in other films is you know the fact that we have like the one guy who's like portrayed as the problem child or like the shitbag of the group and then you know has his redemption at the end and does something heroic and is like the big hero of the day um and I, I haven't had the chance to read Romache's book, Red Platoon, which this movie is based on. Um, and he's the other recipient of the Medal of Honor from this battle. Um, but I, like, after watching this movie, I did a little bit of YouTube, like, rabbit holing. And uh, I watched an interview with Carter. Uh, where he talks about the battle after the fact and granted he's he's just giving an interview about the battle but like he didn't really strike me as like like a dickhead or anything like that you know what i mean right so i'm i'm curious how much of a liberty the movie took in portraying him that way versus like how he actually was like what if he like I'm I'm curious like and if there's happens to be anybody who knows him or knows the story much better please shoot us a message but like I don't know it it felt to me like the movie was really trying to push like a redemption arc on him yeah man who knows and yeah I guess we'd all be a little frazzled too if we were stationed at that camp. No, that place seemed like a shithole. Like, whose who's bright idea was it to even set that place up? Yeah, just a very, very tactically disadvantageous spot. I can't remember if it was mentioned in the movie or if I read it somewhere, but uh, the guys who were, like, actually there uh, before it was named cop keating or even at some point somebody coined the nickname for the camp as camp custer yep 
in the beginning, the little exposition thing, because everyone stationed there is dead or going to die. See, that's the like, that's the thing that makes I think this movie very interesting. Is just like how continuous the combat is, because like these guys, they get into like a firefight like every other day or every or like every week or whatever. So they're just like constantly dealing with this stuff. Yep. And I think I think Afghanistan tends to have a little bit of a skewed view because you know, there's so many like YouTube videos or documentaries out there where you see guys like perched out on a mountain top and they're like calling in an airstrike on like an opposite mountaintop or they're like having a firefight and it's across like like a mile long field um so it's very hard to like truly gauge like something i like i feel like watching videos of actual combat from afghanistan it's like you you sometimes don't really appreciate how intense those moments are yep indeed i also appreciate the fact that this is this is one of the few films that we have about Afghanistan that isn't like special forces related. Um, you know, these are, you know, they're your average everyday soldiers. You know, they're not, they're not army rangers. They're not Navy SEALs, all that kind of stuff. So like, like a truly like everyday soldier perspective of the war at this time, it, it, I think it really made for, an interesting point of view to have. It really did. These weren't elites. They were just your average soldier. And they, they do mention several times that they want to get into the Marines or something or transfer to the Marines. No. So Carter, Carter was originally in the Marines. He left and then he joined back up into the army. So they keep giving him shit. Cause he's always like, this wouldn't stand in the Marines. <laughs> well, we ain't in the Marines. Right. And then you have uh, Scusa, who is trying to leave the infantry to become a helicopter pilot. Uh, and, then, and then, unfortunately, does not get to uh, complete that that goal as he, he dies during the battle. Sadly, yeah. I think... Yeah. Or continue... No, I wasn't going anywhere with that. The other aspect of this film that I appreciated, and I don't know what you thought about it, was just the like the the day-to-day life that they experience in between the firefights. Like we kind of got that a little bit with Platoon with the like you know, barracks pot smoking scene and whatnot. But like this is more interspersed. So what did you think of like the scenes where they're just like roughhousing with each other or like making phone calls home and stuff like that. (laughs) It adds a more day-to-day mundanity feel to this movie that I liked. But that one scene where the dude, after the Broward the Coward shoots that dog at the behest of the villagers, and then it just... And then it just cuts to them waterboarding each other to quote-unquote blow off steam. Remember when we used to blow off steam by you waterboarding me when we lived together? <laughs> Those are good times. Oh yeah, I was doing it for the fun of it. 
yeah. <laughs> real real fun times. I still can't breathe, right? <laughs> good good times. And you'd also you'd also lock me in an Iron Maiden and put me on the stretching rack. What can I say? Whips and chains excite me. <laughs> Especially when they're done on someone else. Right. I think there's so many great, like, little personal moments in this film. But, like, I think one of my favorites is, you know, we discussed this a little bit with, like, Stalag 17. But you have a bunch of dudes who are in the mountains of Afghanistan for months on end. Just surrounded by other dudes. So they're just, like, so deprived of just like female contact and interaction that like literally anything does it for them and i burst out laughing at the scene where one guy like bursts into uh like the barracks like basically like kicks down the door he's like where is he like like a batman (laughs) and he like grabs a dude out of his rack he's like you've been beating off to a picture of my wife and like we see the picture and it's literally just like a normal everyday like headshot of a person like almost like oh this is my like like my professional website photo you know like nothing like it it's just a headshot of a female and uh he starts beating the shit out of him and he's like get on the deck and start doing push-ups he's like you're going to apologize every single time I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jessica. That's Mrs. Hart to you. <laughs> oh man, that that scene was great. I, I thought you were gonna talk about that scene where that dude is like praying to that pair of panties that he has on his face. Oh, that's a that is another funny moment. I pledge allegiance. And who was it? It was like some sort of like tennis star. Yeah, Mary Anna Kornikova, maybe. No, it wasn't her. Uh, Anyways, who is your uh, who's your favorite commander? I really well on an on an unrelated well related note, I really, really thought Orlando Bloom was going to have a much bigger role in this. But he dies in like the first 20 minutes. He was the first commander that died when that Humvee went off the side of the mountain. Holy shit, I didn't realize it was him. The the shaved head really... uh, Really disguised him. It was the lack of bow and arrows for me. Ah, yes. The lack of him being the the main character. Like a loss gotta say was not how i was expecting him like obviously because the outpost is named after him i was expecting him to die but i was not expecting him to die the way that he did me neither man i was expecting like an ambush or like stepping on a mine or something but (laughs) falling off the side of a mountain in a truck was not in my uh on my bingo card right they kind of like build up to it by while they're talking showing the outside of the truck and how it's barely skimming the line on the road 
that just made me feel so uncomfortable. It reminded me of, and granted, it's not nearly the same, but uh, out here in Colorado, there's a couple of mountains that you can basically drive to the top of. Uh, and there's one specifically, I don't, they renamed it. I don't know what they call it now, but it used to be called Mount Evans. Um, I think they renamed it because the guy that they named it after was like a racist or something like that. Um, Wait, the creator of what? What's that? What uh, The creator of who, what's racist? No, they, they named a mountain here in Colorado. It was called Mount Evans, but I think they renamed it because the dude was racist or something. But it's now Mount Blue Sky. Oh, mm. that, that makes more sense. Due to the negative associations of Territorial Governor John Evans with the Sand Creek Massacre, changing the name of Mount Evans was discussed over several years. Eh, that checks out. So he, he was a player in the whole Sand Creek thing. So There it is. Maybe we don't name a mountain after him. Just maybe, yeah. Anyways, uh, Mount Blue Sky, formerly Mount Evans, um, holds the record for being having the highest, or I think it's the highest elevation paved road in North America. So, like, you can literally drive your car to the very tippy top of Mount Blue Sky, which is like, 14,000 some feet but uh i did it i drove up there last year um because we're like oh this this seems like it would be fun teehee and i've never been more stressed out in my fucking life driving on a road because <laughs> the road is just wide enough like for two cars to pass each other like there is no room for fucking air and there are fucking dipshits who drive up there and they're like big dually trucks without like a care in the world, like just hauling ass up there. And it's like, you know, you are more likely to fall off the fucking side of this mountain than I am. But like, it, it is an interesting experience because you literally, you know, go from like 5,000 feet above sea level to 14,000 feet above sea level in the matter of like two hours. And, uh, I could only imagine what like going to a super mountainous region like the Andes or Afghanistan or something like that would be where like you hop on a helicopter and then all of a sudden you're plopped on the top of a mountain. Like I remember like seeing like little spots like when I was walking too fast at the top. <laughs> so like that just that seems no bueno to me. Yeah, it's treacherous. We're <laughs> driving where angels fear to tread. Took my picture next to the sign and left. Called it good. Didn't linger? No. My water bottle exploded because of the uh, the pressure change. Really? Yeah, like I just had like a shitty plastic water bottle. And uh, when I went to like open the cap, the fucking thing like flew off because of the pressure change. <laughs> oh, shit. But I digress. I would say Keating was also my my favorite commander. Like he seemed like a very intelligent commander, and like he garnered a lot of respect. 
I I was especially a big fan of his scene where they hold the the first Shura with him. Mm-hmm. And, and basically he's like, you can surrender your weapons to me and I'll pay you. And the villagers are like, or what? And he's like, let's not get into that ugliness. And all the fucking villagers are like, all right, here's your guns. And that word they call him, Amada, and they say, oh, it means friend. I looked it up and it means female slave. Does it? Yeah, it's not a very flattering term. I I imagine probably so. To no one's great surprise. What was... Uh, so moving forward to our next uh, officer... What did you think of, uh, God, what was his name? Uh, Yesko? It was some strange furniture like that. Oh, let me look. Milo Gibson. Holy shit. <clears throat> Fucking Mel Gibson's son. <laughs> As Captain Robert Yeskas. I don't know. The the scene where he gets killed was almost more stressful to me than the uh the scene where Keating dies. You like you know it's coming, but Yeah, well it's like they do all this prefacing where it's like literally it is is a bridge that you expect to see in like a cartoon to demonstrate how rickety or shitty a bridge is. Like it's like the bridge out of the scene from Emperor's New Groove. And they're like, oh, this bridge is pretty bad, Cap. And uh, like the first group makes it over and then he starts walking and you're just expecting like him to fall through or some some sort of catastrophic failure. And like, I just felt myself tensing up the entire time. I'm like, it's coming, it's coming. And then there's just this massive explosion. And you're like, like it got me. It was it, the jump scare got me, but I wasn't expecting him to die by an explosion on that shitty bridge. I was just waiting for the ambush, really. But no, it is loud ass boom. Hmm. And then Broward the coward couldn't even bother to go after the guy who set the trap. Broward the coward. So was this your? first time seeing this movie or had you ever seen it before first time ever seeing it i heard that it was good i like i said i remember watching it at the beginning of covid and never like returning to it i think i watched this and about the same time there was a movie that came out that was about like some british soldiers in afghanistan getting stuck in like a landmine field that was that was the extent of my my covid watching my covid watching what else did you watch uh i think it was called kilo 2 bravo was that landmine film i don't remember i've never seen it well fuck you too then yeah i deserve that have to add that to our list that and jonah hex hex yeah i'm glad that you agreed with me that Jonah Hex is a war film. I have a loose interpretation of war films. Jonah Hex is on my list anyway of movies to watch. 
I know you have a loose interpretation of war films. Look, I'm just saying. Is Kids Next Door a war film? It's a war against adults. I mean, boiling it down, war movie, war is just conflict, right? I mean, if we really wanted to be a reductionist about it, because the dictionary states war as a state of armed conflict between different nations or states or different groups within a nation or state. The dictionary says <laughs> Get a lot of this, nerd listeners. Is that a vest you're wearing too, you, f- you friggin' nerd? No, it's a fucking sweater. Fucking nerd. <laughs> Why should I be surprised? The guy that won't let us have John Hinckley Jr. on our podcast is being a fun hater about our definition of war movies. John Hinckley Jr. has no business being here. If you want to talk to him, you start your own fucking podcast about whatever nonsense. Look, I'm just saying he could maybe offer some nuance to a movie. He's older than you and me, so he's bound to have seen some shit. Why don't you ask him about Catcher in the Rye? (laughs) Maybe Jodie Foster's Contact. Mm -hmm. Hey, is Contact a war movie? I don't even know what contact is. Pretty sure it's in when they uh, movie about us making contact with an alien species. But on that note, do you consider what the fuck is that? Arrival, a war movie? Not really. I mean, they they allude to a war. Spoiler alert. It's more of a science movie. Okay. I know science makes that big brain of yours hurt something feels. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just being a bully. So what are you drinking today? Nothing, if you can believe it. I'm just drinking a Fresca. Fresca? Ooh. I know, right? I tried to make some tea, but no one told me that they left a coffee cartridge in the thing I used to make my tea. So instead of just regular hot water, I got blasted with coffee in in it. And it just, that was my last goddamn mixed berry fruit tea bag. Show you a tea bag. I know you, I knew that was coming a mile away, but regardless, goddamn it. I was excited to get some motherfucking tea. Now I have to wait on that. You know, I really, I just started drinking uh, this one brand of tea and by God, if they could be our sponsor, I would be so happy. I would um, be so happy. There's a, a tea company that I started buying stuff from. They're called Valhalla Tea. And uh, cool. they actually make they make some really good loose leaf tea. And it's all like, you know, it's the it's it's that typical like, you know how dude wipes are just baby wipes, but they rebranded them for guys. Because, you know, <laughs> man, same thing. You know, it, it's genuinely good tea, but it's like all father. So it's like an Odin theme tea or they have like a uh, like a Sherlock Holmes, like breakfast tea. My personal favorite is uh, you know, what the fuck was it called? Oh, that's right. My uh, the one that I because I did their like sample pack, which has like an ounce of each one of their teas. 
or something like that. Um, but I did uh, Goddess of Love. Uh. <sighs> Goddess of Love, eh? Yep. And they come in this, like, nifty little burlap sack, so... You know what? I'm going to tag them in this. Like, yeah. we started we started doing little Instagram reels from our fucking podcast. So I'm going to come up with a a little little reel of this and see if they can hop on board. If you're listening, Valhalla Tea Company, we want our uh, our promo code to be armchair. Yeah, we call dibs. <laughs> so many people are coming to them to get armchair as their promo code. Maybe two. I am currently drinking some uh, blueberry uh, Stella Rosa. Ooh. Because I'm a bougie bitch. Actually, it's because I can't stand like actual wine, so I have to get like, you know, cheap ass bottles of super sugary shit. Yeah. I just have too much sugar. I remember from our wedding, uh, that was something we had a shitload of on hand was uh, Celerosa. <laughs> I clearly you mean light. the you mean the ones that David didn't drink? That's right, the ones that David didn't drink. I had like, I think I had like three bottles of Stella myself. I don't know. Definitely should have should have yanked more bottles from behind the bar before they wrapped up oh definitely man that was a good time it sure was so what was your going back to the part that you liked the most which was the battle scene what was your like what was the what part of the battle stuck out to you the most or you enjoyed watching the most the part where sergeant piss bottle bursts out of the talk and he's like they're not gonna capture cox gun the outpost 2020 and then he goes in and piss bottles all over those guys can you imagine like elbow 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 everybody start throwing the piss bottles <laughs> But that one interpreter they had who every week was like, the Taliban are coming, the Taliban are coming. And the one time he wasn't whistling Dixie, they come in spades. Well, and that's they, why we have the story about the guy, about the boy who cried wolf. Mm-hmm. People might take you more seriously if you don't say shit all the time. The interpreter who cried Taliban and then was right <laughs> for once. Honestly, the scene that struck me the most, and granted, it was a very kind of long and protracted scene that came in and out, was when Carter went to, just before Carter went to rescue Mace, uh, was him and the sergeant are trapped in the Humvee, and Carter keeps yelling out the window. He's like, hold on, we'll be there. Just hold on, don't move. Um, like, that just, it really, it really hit me. Like, 
to to see somebody that you want to try and get and rescue and they're like 20 feet away just like they're right there and being feeling or being in a position where you're like you can't do shit like that was such a powerful scene for me yeah and something that this movie kind of this movie neglected but if you you can go onto youtube and you can watch uh ty carter's interview about his about the battle um and during that scene where we see him yelling out the window where he's like mace don't move we're coming to get you um you know in his it's not shown in this movie but in the interview he he talks about the fact that the reason that he had to yell out the window to tell him to not move was because mace was he was like actively crying out for help saying like hey come get me like i'm hurt which i could only imagine like that sounds awful in its own right but could you imagine how much more intense that scene would would feel like if they had added that part in man yeah rough and that whole thing about him saving his buddy mace and all the trouble he goes to only for them to be told oh mace didn't make it at the end that must be the worst feeling in the world i think like that obviously had to have felt absolutely awful yep but the thing that like drives that point even further home is you know they do like a wrap-up at the end of the film where they're back at a more protected base and we see carter is sat down with a psychologist and he's like i was told i had to talk to you (laughs) and the psychologist the psychologist is like so tell me about the battle eh and it's like fuck you um but you know he he says like i couldn't save him i couldn't save mace and she's like mace was your friend and that's the moment where he like he breaks out crying and he's like no no he wasn't like like to imagine being in a being in a relationship with a person where like you don't like them or you don't care about them the way you would like your best friend, but you still go through one of the most harrowing moments in your life in order to try and save them only for it to not be successful. Like that's, I, I don't want to say it's like understandable, like with the trauma of losing a friend, but I couldn't imagine, I, I can't even wrap my head around the trauma of, experiencing one of the worst moments of your life in order to save a person that you feel like meh about man yeah that was a really emotional part him realizing that his buddy's gone it was it was honestly like it was a super emotional part but it was some terrific acting on Mm -hmm. on his part in that scene like it, it felt like a very real scene. That and that part where he said, "Oh, he has all of our blood in us." And oof, good shit. 
that's the other thing is like we get going back to the battle you know it's oftentimes we do get like the aid station scenes and that's that's something i kind of wish we had delved in a little bit more was following the medic during this battle because like the amount of work that that like those two dudes were doing during this battle it just seems absolutely insane absolutely and you could just feel the stress in the medic room especially like uh i forgot who it was that they brought in but um you know early on the battle two guys brought another soldier in and they're like he's hit he needs help and you know the the medic walks up to him he's like he's gone and like immediately is like get him out of here like to you know everybody else has that like momentary pause of like no what the fuck no like this can't be but like the guy who's the medic he's literally like as much as i would like to be like humanistic and compassionate like I got other shit I need to be doing to keep people alive. And that's like that. I feel like that'd be such a, a great movie or story to explore deeper. It's just like the medic who has to make those choices. Hmm. This movie was intense. It was, was there, was there anything about this movie that you did not like? I need to think on that. How about you? Um, I think just kind of like the the like the cut cards or like the little uh subtitles at the bottom whenever they like change commanders or like change location or whatever or like comes hard to keep track. Yeah, it's like it felt like it kind of interrupted the film a little bit, like. Um, yeah, that's, that's really my only beef with it. It's just the kind of the unnecessary cut cards. And I guess if it's one complaint I had, it was, it was hard to keep track of everybody. Yeah, there is, there is a large cast of people to keep track of. I think, I think it tried to narrow in on a specific group, but even the specific group was still still pretty big but i think it i think it helped identifying the fact that like romache and carter were the like are are definitely our, our focus points even if we get diversions with other characters suza was easy to keep track of with the glasses scusa scusa the Scoozmeister. I was sad to see him pass. He's like, I'm going to be a helicopter pilot. I'm like, you go, man. Yeah, and that brief part where he's talking to his presumably wife and kid on the phone. A part of me kind of knew he was going to die after that. Well, Dark he's also as that the is. one who uh, kept the stray dog as a pet until fucking Captain Dickhead went and shot him. God pissed me off oh and to think we made it this entire movie without discussing the uh the politics of afghan relations wow i'm almost proud of us 
And you know what? Fuck it. We're not talking about it. <laughs> yep. That can be the next next film. Maybe we'll have a bonus reel. Maybe. Or we just talk about Afghani politics. Or we could also not do that. That's fair. I don't want to turn this into a goddamn politics podcast. I guess I guess it's impossible to stray entirely away from politics given the nature of war and whatnot. Well, absolutely. It's just Shall we delve into the the stereotype of every conversation of Af- Afghanistan? It's called the Graveyard of Empires. Da, 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 da. Except that that nickname only dates back to about 2000 or 2001, and they've actually been conquered more than a couple times throughout their history. Well, define Kong. Like, the Greeks occupied them for well over a century. Mm, that's fair. Alexander the Great beat the shit out of them. Um, let's see. Mongolians beat the shit out of them. Something tells me occupation was probably easier in the time before explosives. Shit, the Soviet Union had them unlocked until we started selling weapons to them. Yeah, that that really worked out well for us, didn't it? Who would, they'd always be grateful allies. Man. Now the... Now, the Vietnamese, those are some hardcore motherfuckers. They fought off the Mongol hordes. They fought off three superpowers in, like, 50 years. Showed the uh, Frenchies who's boss. Mm-hmm. Did you know that there's actually a game where you can play as the Vietnamese fighting the French uh, occupation? What game's that? Oh, let me look it up. But it's actually produced from Vietnam. And it's got very, like... Did you ever play Battlefield Vietnam? No. Are you at least familiar with it? Vaguely, yes. It's got very similar vibes and graphics. Let me see. It is called 7554, Glorious Memories Revived. 7554, eh? Yeah. And it follows, like, its big thing is about the Viet Minh's victory over uh, the French at Dien Bien Phu. And what was that title again? 7554. So you you essentially play as the precursor to the Viet Cong. Gotcha. Nope, never played it. Well, add it to the Steam list. Is it on Steam? Isn't everything on Steam? You'd think that, but no, no, it doesn't look like it's on Stem. Oh, well. We'll find an emulator of it somewhere. But I don't know about you, but I think it's about that time to rate this thing. Right. Let's see. Um, what? What? I already know the metric we're going to rate this on piss bottles. So 
You I'm just going to come right do, out. You don't want to do dead dogs? No, not at all, actually. I don't want to do dead dogs. Um, I'm going to rate this five piss bottles out of five, and they're all just still warm. <laughs> what, got nothing to say to that? Huh? Still warm. Five out of five piss bottles. Okay. Um, I'm going to give this five piss bottles, but only four of them are full. The fifth one is one that is yet to be pissed in. It's the the backup piss bottle. All right. Let's see how many piss bottles Rotten Tomatoes gives this. Huh. So they don't have piss bottles as a metric for some reason. They just have shitty scores. And Weird. The, the Outpost got a 92% on the Tomometer, and it got an 81% audience score. I'm going with the critics on this one. I agree. It's, and on a final note, go ahead. This is not this is not an eighty percent film. Nope. I I must say the casting was great on this. Like the a lot of the people were looked very very similar to the people they were playing. Right. So that is our review of the outpost. You know, shockingly, um, I didn't know if you know this, but there's a. Uh, all the Medal of Honor recipients are part of, it's called like the Medal of Honor Association. And uh, for obvious reasons, Medal of Honor recipients are kind of a close-knit group. Anyways, you can go to the Medal of Honor Association and like, essentially, they'll act like as a middleman. So you can send a message to the Medal of Honor Association and then they may or may not pass your message on to whatever uh, Medal of Honor recipient you're trying to speak to. And uh, shockingly, uh, we did not hear a response from uh, Romache, because I did that this past week. You did? Oh, yeah. I was I was curious if it would work. And uh, needless to say, uh, I'm not saying he decided not to. I'm saying there's a good chance probably did not receive it and or looked at it. It was like, who the fuck are these idiots? <laughs> he would never. Should have gone with Carter. He, he might've gone with it. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, Medal of Honor recipients, Roma Shea or Carter. If you do listen to this, we would love to have you sometime. Yep. Although you'll have to, pick a different movie than this one but not you broward you can go fuck yourself <laughs> broward the coward broward Anyways, the coward it's about that time that we announce our movie for next week uh next week we do have a guest joining us um i will save who that is uh until you actually listen to the episode but our guest has chosen the seminal classic of classic war films if not probably the greatest war film of all time uh saving private ryan god damn i know it took us what are we on there's we almost made it to 40 episodes without doing saving private ryan you see my line of thinking was that it's been done to death everybody's seen it oh, everyone's yeah. reviewed it that was why I didn't want to select it right away. 
I know this might come as a shock to our listeners, but there is more than one war movie podcast out there, and everything. <laughs> Impossible. I know, I know, but every single one of them has done Saving Private Ryan. It was almost mm-hmm. I. I almost took it as a badge of honor that we hadn't done it yet. But here we are, about to get our Ryan cherry popped. Yeah, that's right. Wow, oh. I will never say that again. That was really gross. I hate that yeah. phrase. Should but, we just go ahead? Should we go ahead and do our our ratings? Ooh, wow, Tom Hanks, so so stunning, so brave, so great. Matt Damon, five out of five. Matt right. Damon. Next week we're doing Hanks. Yeah, Hanks. We are we are looking forward to saving Private Ryan. I'm also looking forward to our guest that is coming on. Uh, he's become very big in the popular history world with uh, two of his most recent books that he's come out with. So it'll, it will be a good time. Indeed. <sighs> you okay there? Yeah, I just had a big stretch. Ooh, big stretch. Ooh, big stretch. You have anything else, Jack? I don't all right. Well, if you enjoyed this show, please leave a review. The stars do matter. If you'd like additional content from us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook, as well as uh, Discord at the Armchair Commanders Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube under the name History Apprentice, where we have our episodes listed there, as well as additional random history content that I find the time for whenever the fuck I feel like it. Uh, We've greatly enjoyed having you join us. Until next week, I've been John. And I'm Jack. And we will catch you later. Bye.